Well, good morning. I am Joel, one of the pastors. It is good to be with you. Who's ready for the Word of God? That's what we get to do. Jump into the Word of God, and we're in a series right now entitled God, looking at the Trinity two weeks ago, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Today we're on the Son. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. One of the things that you're going to learn very quickly is I, I do believe that we have a murky understanding of Jesus. It's muddy water. It's, it's the two ponds that we have out there. Um, jump in those. You're not going to see through the water very well at all. Uh, they are filthy and they are dirty. And I think sometimes that's how our understanding of Jesus is. Uh, one of the passages that has really stood out to me as I have read, and I've come back to it over and over the last two or three weeks, is 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2. Uh, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, let me go ahead and tell you real quick. Pen, paper would really help. I'm going to call out so much scripture for you today. The scripture you write down today, it is scripture that will help you understand whether or not you actually know Jesus. So is it important? I would say yes, because that's about eternity. All right. Um, say, uh, but this passage, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 17, it says the following. It says, for Christ did not send me to baptize. Now, this is Paul speaking to the people in Corinth. Corinth at the time was um, just, honestly, the way we would summarize it is we, we literally would say it was just a hellhole. It was so filthy, prostitution, all types of things, homosexuality, rampant, anything people wanted to do, they got to do it, and there were no repercussions for it. Remind you of any society that we're turning into. Everything, I mean, seriously, everything, like all kinds of bad things happening. Um, adultery, all that wasn't considered. It's like, oh, that's your choice. Don't worry about it. So here's Paul, and he's coming in, and he says, listen, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but no, he didn't want people to come and say, oh, I got baptized by Paul. He said, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom. Those are the most encouraging words I've ever read for me. I don't have to be eloquent or anything else. Listen, I'm here to preach the gospel. I don't have to use words of eloquent wisdom. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Here's what we need to know today. And this is my prayer for today. Is that you aren't convinced of one thing because of my words or anything else. But that the power of Jesus is so prevalent in your life that you submit fully to his authority. Because if you only base it on whether or not somebody can communicate well enough, if somebody can convince you of something, all that happens is that for a moment, for a season, you're like, yeah, I'm in. And then the next person who can speak well about something will alter your view and alter your perspective, and then you just shift to whatever that is. Because you, you actually have been persuaded to say that you believe in something without ever having your heart transformed by the strength and the power of Jesus Christ. Do you see the difference? Yes? No? So right away, we have to ask ourselves, I'm starting fast today, can you tell? Right away, we're confronted with something that is so important. Do we actually believe in Jesus Christ and give him authority over our lives? And so I'm not here to try to convince you of anything, but uh, I'm simply here to tell you, here's what the truth is. Here at Chapel Point, if you're new, we believe in the full authority of the word of God. All of it. And so as a result, we preach that, we teach that, and here we go. And it's a fun, fun thing to be able to do. Um, and that's important for us because otherwise that is why James chapter 1, James 1, 2 through 8, that's one of these passages. Um, people come to me, staff here knows this. 
they'll like, hey, should I go in ministry? And what, what scripture should I read if I'm going into ministry and to the pastorate? If you're not willing to memorize James 1, 2 through 8, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, I tell them, just don't go into ministry. And James 1, 2 through 8 speaks very clearly about, listen, this is why we become like, we're like a wave of the sea blown and tossed back and forth by the wind. We as individuals are like a wave of the sea blown and tossed back and forth because we have bought in to whatever the coolest speech is of the day rather than being bought into the fact that Jesus Christ has died for us and transformed our lives. Because if that's what you bought into, your feet are planted Firm foundation for the soul. Hebrews chapter 6. So we recognize the power of that. So there's, there's this understanding of Jesus that is not clear today. A quote that I shared with you many years ago here as the pastor of the church. Um, I don't even know who said it. I looked for it. I'm not trying to take credit for it. Uh, but I cannot find it anywhere. But it says the following. It says, I still remember it. The everyday theology of most people. This is, this is our struggle. The everyday theology. Theology and doctrine are different got to remember this. Theology is your idea or understanding of who God is. That is the definition of theology. So you need to know what your theology is. Your theology is your idea or understanding of who God is. And the everyday theology of most people gives salvation and freedom to anyone while requiring relatively nothing. Now I'm going to expand upon that. As we've looked at different surveys and if we looked at where our world and our society is today... Um, there are four primary things that people believe in who say they believe in God. Here it is, ready? One thing that they say is that if, if you really uh, want to walk through life, you just need to have a belief in an almighty God. As long as you have a belief in an almighty God, you're good to go. I didn't say Jesus, I said an almighty God. The number of people who believe in an almighty God, some type of God, is no less than it was even 10 years ago, believe it or not, because there's a desperation for people today. They know something is missing. They know that something is missing. I was with a, a community group last Monday. I had the, the task. I had, as a pastor, I had to go play in a golf outing. And, yeah, you're the same people who have to go for work and play in a golf outing, right? This is what you have to do sometimes. And I'm there, and I'm speaking with a community center that really engages adolescents. And at, they said adolescent girls, four and a half times more depression and suicide than ten, five to ten years ago. Four and a half times. I said, why? I grabbed one of the guys real quick after he spoke. I was like, yeah, like you can't just like, I'm a pastor. You can't just drop that bomb and not give me some more information. It's and he said one word, confusion. Now, we don't, that's not being put out there on the news, but it's a real number. And we go, why is that? It's because we have so much confusion today. I think even as believers, we have confusion about who God is, about who Jesus is. Because what the world is saying, as long as you believe in some type of be, more, you know, something, an almighty power, as long as that you have some type of understanding that you've made mistakes in your life, that's the second understanding that most people have. Listen, you, yes, you have made mistakes, but you, every one of you, you're all sinners. I know we don't like that language, but you're a sinner. It's scriptural. If it's biblical language, we will use it. It's biblical language. We're all sinners. If you're a sinner, raise your hand. Woohoo! All right. So there, there needs to be a belief in an almighty God. You need to admit that you've made mistakes. You need to live a self-defined decent life is what most people think. A self-defined decent life. 
as long as you live a, good, live a good life according to what your understanding of good is, then we're good to go. And yet that means we're not good to go. We're bad because now everybody gets to define it for themselves. And the fourth thing that most people believe today is that there's just an expectation of mercy no matter what. That's what most people believe today. That is a general consensus of our world. That, listen, I believe there's some kind of higher power, but I'm gonna, I live, everybody thinks they live a good life. And so I'm going to live a good life according to my own self-defined understanding of good life, and I expect mercy so that one day I'll be fine. That's how people are walking through life today. And it's because, again, there's a muddiness when it comes to understanding who Jesus is. And yet a clear understanding of Jesus changes your response to everything in life. So today's message is really important because I want some of you, I want all of you, whether you're watching online, whether you're right here in this place or in the chapel, you know, the venue, doesn't matter, I don't care. We all need to have some hard evaluation on who we believe Jesus to be and the impact that that's having on our life. Do we have clarity? When someone walks up to you tomorrow and says, who's Jesus to you? And you go, very simple. He is the son of God who was the perfect atonement for all people's sin, who professed faith in him. They may have eternal life. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Right? Do we, do we know that with clarity? Or do we go, well, Jesus, well, I mean, he, God, you had Jesus, and he was cool, and he did things for, for us, and that's a religion that's in the world. Like, what, what's your answer? We need clarity when it comes to understanding who Jesus is. Because there is an apathy in today's church. Notice I didn't say society and culture. There is an apathy in today's church in terms of our understanding of Jesus. And as a result, there is a laziness in serving him. And I want you to know where you stand today. I can't tell you that Jesus Christ is the most important thing to me in my life and let you walk out of here not knowing exactly who he is to you. Who is Jesus? And so let's pray that we'll have open hearts to him today. Will you bow with me, please? Lord, I come before you in the name of Jesus, and I ask that you give our hearts openness, that you allow them to be moldable and shaped into what you desire. God, that none of us would want to force you to become what we want rather than us wanting to become what you desire. God, I ask that you just make yourself known in this place. Amen. Amen. Jesus does say, I mean, Jesus is a contentious name. I mean, if you step in, um, even I'm, I'm going to say the school system because today we get to, later on we get to pray for our, our teachers and administrators and our superintendents and others who are here in this place. We have college professors, etc., who call this place home. Um, so I'll, I'm going to put it in the context of school. If you walk into a school today and you just right away, you just start letting everybody know about Jesus, you're going to get some attention. Right now, if you say God and you walk around and you say, well, you know, God is good, that's going to get some attention today even. But now if you say Jesus and you step in and you're like, hey, I just want to make sure everybody knows about Jesus. Right? I mean, I, I could tell you conversations that teachers have had with my kids in school 
about what they can and can't say. And my response is very simple. You say whatever the word of God says. I'm that guy that loves the Lord more than your preference. And so here I am, and I'm like, okay, I know that Jesus says some things that can be like flag-waving because we're sinners. Here are some things. I want to put them on the screen for you. He says things like this. These are all quotes like when you read through the Bible, it's in red. That means they're the words of Jesus. Pay attention. Son of God. He says this. He says, lose your life to save it. What? Like, that doesn't even make sense. But that's what he says. He says, the first will be last. Now, don't you know, I'm number one. Don't tell me that I should be last. Rejoice in persecution. Really? Like, when was the last time you had a day that you would say, brought on persecution, and you told somebody to go buy some cake? He says, pray for your enemies. Don't throw them, it doesn't say, hey, those people who are making your life hard, throw them under the bus and get back at them. It says, listen, for those people who are your enemies, who are treating you poorly, who are making statements about you without ever asking a question about you. Not that, I'm not speaking out of personal experience. He says, pray for them. He says things like this. It's better to give than to receive. I remember being with the family. There was a family, and they were interacting. And I could tell that it was fun for me to listen in on the conversation because their kids were like, I get that, blah, blah, blah. And so I just stepped down and said, hey, guys, do you know that Jesus said it's better to give than to receive? And the little boy looked at me and goes, really? But that's our natural, we're sinners, right? And so we don't always believe there's better to give than to receive. That's why even as we know as a society, the more we gather and accumulate, the more we think we need to accumulate in order to have comfort. This is the way we are. He says, turn the other cheek. And then here's one I didn't put up here because I really want to focus on it. It's a passage that I often quote for us, and I hope that you know it by heart. And he says in John chapter 14, verse 6, this is what really makes Jesus controversial. He says the following. He says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. It's not through something else. It's not by performing a certain way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And some people think that that's divisive. It might be in a broken world. But yet Jesus promises persecution. Some people consider it to be narrow-minded. I will tell you now that there's seven major world religions, and the most exclusive one out there, the only exclusive, they're all exclusive except for Christianity, which is inclusive. I'll tell you one in a little bit. Some tense up at the idea that Jesus is the only way to God because we want to always keep our options open. Some think that there are numerous ways to get to heaven. I mean, that was a big thing 20 years ago with Oprah Winfrey, right? And all of a sudden, this, this woman who is a Christian, who is a believer in Christ, then said, well, there's all different lights that can lead you to God and you can go whichever way you want. And yet if you study the world, world religions, you know that's actually, it can't be true. That's why he says in John chapter 3, verse 3, this is an important passage for us. In John 3, 3, 
He's talking to Nicodemus, who was a, a religious leader who did not believe that he was the son of God, but he came to believe that he was the son of God. And he says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. To be born from above, to recognize what Christ has done in your life. All religions are not the same. We need clarity when it comes to knowing who Jesus is. The uniqueness of Christianity is rooted in the uniqueness of who Jesus is. The uniqueness of Christianity is rooted in the uniqueness of who Jesus is. you got to get this. So as some religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you how to find truth, Jesus says, follow me, right? Because I am the truth. It's a big difference. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you the way to salvation. Jesus says, I am the way to salvation, to eternal life. All other major world religions believe that you earn the favor of God. And they'll tell you that maybe you need to pray in a particular way, and if you don't pray in that way, that then you're in trouble, or they tell you, you must go on this pilgrimage, or they tell you, you have to give alms to the poor in this manner, or you have to avoid eating particular foods, or you have to do this particular number of good deeds, or even go through a cycle of reincarnation, and they tell you all of these different things over and over again, and all of these are attempts for you to reach out to God, but what you must understand, this is the uniqueness of Jesus. While you're trying to do all these things to reach out to God, what God said is, no, you can't earn enough favor. And so God reached out to us through his son, Jesus. There's an enormous difference between those two things. Jesus very clearly let the people know, you can't do enough to merit heaven. Right? That's why we say we know that sin separates us from God, and Jesus doesn't want us to be separated from the Heavenly Father, but he knows that God is also righteous and he's just, and that means there's consequence to sin. I hope you hear that. Proverbs is very clear that discipline, you can't love, you can't say that you love your kids unless you discipline your kids. And so Jesus said, man, you guys can't earn enough. You can't do it right. You keep coming and making these sacrifices and putting lamb and dove and everything else and making the sacrifice over and over and over again. And you keep offering all this stuff, but it doesn't work. And you keep having to do it again and again and again. It doesn't work. So I want to give my life the perfect lamb so that you might have eternity through, through me. Woo, that's good news. That changes stuff, but I don't think we actually believe that. Otherwise, we wouldn't be so tempered in our response to knowing that we have eternity through him, that no matter what the darkness of this world may bring, we have the light of the world in Jesus Christ. You can't process that and walk out of this place and go, that's cool. You can't tell me that this nation has had so many millions of people who claim to know Jesus and we are where we are today. Because, friends, silence is concurring with what you remain silent to means you will end up, you will end up agreeing with whatever that is. And also, silence means that you don't have the courage to speak out for that which you say that you believe. I'll give you an example. So because we have so much muddiness 
and our understanding and our clarity of Jesus because it's muddy. There's not clarity. I'll give you, I'll give you an example of what's happened. So this, is, um, this was pointed out by a guy, hopefully you've heard him, Lee Strobel, um, and he was a guy who was an atheist, he was a journalist, and his wife came to know Jesus, which caused all kinds of problems in their marriage because they were already married when case for Christ when, when she came to know Jesus, and that created all kind of, kinds of hostility. And maybe you've, some of you are in that place where you're so devoted to Jesus, but your spouse isn't, and it creates this, right? I, I mean, I've counseled hundreds of couples in that over the years. Because you're not equally yoked, and one of you, like, want, you want to give it all to Christ, and let's serve him. And someone's like, no, no, no. Jesus, basically what you're saying is Jesus is just an add-on. I'm going to live my life. And it doesn't work. And so for Lee Strobel, that was the case. And so he was out to prove that Jesus did not actually uh, do what he said. And he ended up finding out that Jesus did what he said. He came to know Jesus Christ. And he tells us, so he goes, this is what's happened. And this is what he speaks about. This is... I want to compare the Word of God to Buddhist literature. Okay? So last week I mentioned something in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, every single time. Luke 14, you should go cost of discipleship. Luke 14, 25 through 33. Luke 15, you should go to three lost. Lost coin, lost sheep, lost son. Prodigal, lost son. I mentioned that last week. Do you know Buddhist literature, it tells the same story. Both stories involve a son who wants their inheritance, they go off, they rebel, they leave home in a huff, they end up squandering everything they had, they live, lived according to the way they wanted to live, and so finally they come back to the place where they want to go back because they see the error of their ways, and they decide to return home. Story of the prodigal son. Isn't that a good story? Yes? It's a good story. But it's the ending that makes the stories different. In the Buddhist story... The son is required to then work off the penalty for his past misdeeds through years of servitude. That's the story. That's how it was altered. They took this and they said, oh, no, you've got to pay that back. In Luke chapter 15, in the word of God, it ends by the son being welcomed home by his father with a giant hug. Him slaughtering everything good that they have and throwing a, the party of a lifetime. And the father falling at his feet saying, I love you. I'm so glad you're back. Welcome home. Does anybody see a difference in the ending? But if you don't really understand and have clarity about who Jesus is, then we start to be persuaded for other things. And all of a sudden, you think as long as you can be a good person and that self-defined good person is all that you need to be. And now that self-definition, that self-defining, it comes out in the world as well. As long as they get to do what they want to do and I get to do what I want to do and those people get to do what they want to do. No, if you've surrendered to Jesus Christ, you have clarity upon who he is, it doesn't work that way. All religions are not the same. That's why I tell people definitions matter. Clarity matters. And our apathy today to understand who Jesus is is just dumbfounding to me. And as a result, we have been manipulated. We have been deceived. We have to remember that Satan is the great deceiver. So we have a poor definition of Jesus. We have a poor definition of love. It's, how many of you, if you're a parent, raise your hand. 
Have any of you parents, okay, put it down. We're going to have a little class participation. How many of you have ever looked at your kids and say, I love you so much? Raise your hand. That, you should raise your hand. Okay. I'm just, I've got a few people who are like, how many of you regret telling your kids that? Raise your hand. No, no, no. And then later on that day, what ends up happening, you go to the store and you've got little kids, right? And they're running around everywhere like ants. And they're like, hey, this is, did I go too far on that? Okay, get over it. Um, so all of a sudden you go to your store and they say, hey, dad, can I have this? And you said, no, no, son, daughter, you don't, you don't need that. You're good. You don't need another shirt. It's all good. Or you don't need that toy. And they say, but I thought you loved me. Anybody heard that before? <laughs> Blasted children. And so now all of a sudden we've interpreted, you think that's a funny story, right? Because we've all been there. And so now we have defined, but you love me as, then you'll give me what I want. You see what I'm saying? I, we don't have clarity. Because as I said earlier, Proverbs is clear. You can't actually love your children without disciplining them. Parents, you owe me for that. Making your life easier. You have to discipline. That's part of love. But we have, we've added a muddiness to even understanding love. And so now we don't understand who Christ is. I want to give you three ways to understand who Jesus is. This is popular. This is something we need to understand. And, and this is going to force us to examine who he is in your life. If you have stated that you love Jesus, but you actually don't, I'd rather you recognize it so that you can face that with reality of whether or not you will serve him. People who claim to know Christ but never live for Christ only make our job harder. I'll say that very, very clearly. Jesus, three things. He's prophet, priest, and king. I want to talk about these very quickly. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king, and why these things matter. Why these things matter. So I'm going to give you a lot of scripture that goes with this as well, so be ready for that. Jesus is prophet. Part of the reason this matters, we just walked through the majority of this year a series on Exodus, and we're looking at what that means for us and Moses being a prophet and what that meant. A prophet was was to speak the word of God primarily. This is as simply as I can state it. Now, it's, there's more to this, but I want to make sure we have a basis as we are moving forward, okay? So primary role of a prophet, not the only primary role, though, was to speak the word of God. That's what they did. And they would foretell of events, and they would perform miracles, and Jesus did all these things. We already know his first recorded miracle was turning water into wine, Cana, Right? right? Wedding at Cana, there he is, and he's like, okay, I'm going to do this. We also know that um, in Matthew chapter 1530, I told you I'd to give you some passages, Matthew 1530, he says, large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others, and they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So he's doing miracles. He also foretold, that's another aspect of being a prophet, he foretold about everything that was to come. He foretold about his own death. We see that over and over. He would tell the disciples, hey, this is what's going to have to happen. I'm going I'm to have to die, and then on the third day I'm going to uh, be, 
be lifted from the grave, and this is what's going to happen. Even to the point of they didn't necessarily believe it all, but he foretold about it on numerous occasions to where at the Last Supper, Passover, he's telling them, here it is, and they're still confused. (laughs) So Jesus himself was a prophet. Now, we don't have prophets in that way anymore. I'm going to get into that a little bit as to why later on. But here, Jesus, he is prophet who is speaking the word of God, but also foretelling of what was to come. Even Moses, book of Exodus, right, who was an Old Testament prophet, he foretold of a new prophet to come. Deuteronomy 18.15. He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. Now, that's from your fellow Israelites. So, he's, Moses is speaking about the one who is to come. The fulfillment of the prophecy is found in Jesus. There are hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that all line up perfectly with who Jesus Christ is. You cannot get around it. You cannot get around it. That's why it says Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Now this fall, I'm jumping into a series on the book of Hebrews. And as I keep reading it, Hebrews 1 stands out to me. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, where it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through him also he made the universe. And so Jesus is that prophet. Here he comes. He's being ushered in, in in human form. He is both fully human and fully divine. It's part of the mystery that we will never fully understand. Now just remember, if you have to understand something before you believe it, you will never believe in anything other than self. So Jesus is prophet. Another thing that you need to understand, Jesus is also priest. Now, you're going, Joel, and some of you are from a Catholic background, but some others are going, Joel, we're not Catholic. What are you talking about? Well, Jesus was not only priest. You, you might want to write in another word here. He was high priest. So let me give you a, an understanding of what this means for us today. Because within the priesthood was a single high priest. Not only people who were speaking the word of God, but would offer the sacrifice. The high priest would come and offer the sacrifice on the day of atonement that would cleanse the people for the coming year. Well, Jesus is now considered in scripture the high priest who himself was the perfect atonement, but not only for the next year, but for eternity for all those who profess faith in him. That's why it says that not only was he a prophet, but he was also priest, high priest. And so we see this coming to fruition, and that priests, they they were mediators between God and man. That's what they were. You saw it on the the screen before, they were mediators, and so they would communicate between you and God. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now, here's where some people go astray, and, and we've got to know, here's some of the difference, differences between what we believe and what other people believe, is that now we don't need any human to serve between us and God, because God left for us Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and so now Holy Spirit 
speaks to us and we communicate with God that we have a personal relationship. It's called priesthood of the believer or soul competency. Are you following me? And some of you are going, Joel, I know this. You would be amazed at how many people don't. And that's okay. We want to make sure we do. So he's prophet. Also, he's priest. And he is the high priest. And he said, even before he left, I'm going to leave a gift for you. Holy Spirit came, also known as Pentecost, filled the New Testament church. And now we ourselves, that's why we say that conviction is a blessing because Holy Spirit speaks into your life. You know when you're doing something that's not aligning with God if God is within you. But if he's not in, within you or if you keep pushing him away, what do you start doing? Remember, Satan is a great deceiver. That's how scripture defines who Satan is and what he does. He's not trying to take you one, one, make you get one giant leap toward him. He makes you just make one decision after another that pushes you closer toward him. And so we start allowing certain things in our life that lead to another thing in our life and then into another thing into our life. And all of a sudden, before we know it, what we've done is we've removed God from the equation altogether. It's ha- friends, I know it's happened in our school system. So Jesus is not only priest, he's high priest. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, final passage on that. It says, therefore, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. I'm not going to camp out on it long because we're going to be tackling this this fall. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. We've already, what it's saying is this, we've already had final atonement paid for us, and so we will not waver, we will not be James 1, like a wave of the sea blown, tossed and back and forth by the, the ebbs and the flows of society, we will hold firmly to the word of God, we will profess it with all that we have, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we're tempted And yet he didn't sin, and he has acted on our behalf so that we can approach his throne of grace with confidence. We will stand for Jesus no matter what. That's Hebrews chapter 4. A little bit of Joel version in there, but not much. Because he's the high priest. Yeah. So here's a question for you. Do you believe that Jesus is prophet? So this is, this is important. Know this. The majority of people, in other, even in other religions, will say, yes, he was a prophet. So do you believe that Jesus was a prophet? Do you believe he was a priest? Do you believe he's high priest? And here's the thing. This is where a lot of people stop. They stop right there. Priest, maybe high priest. And then here's the next one. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. A king has complete authority over another. A king has complete authority over another. You don't get to choose anything in your life that is isolated from the king of your life. You following me on this? Now, I, I don't th- God never wanted the Israelites to have a human king. Remember, they didn't have a king. He delivered them. They had Moses. They had prophets. They had people that, that God was using to speak to the people. 
But he never wanted them to have a king. The first king was Saul. The second king was David. Now, I mentioned before that, that they would have, that even Moses spoke of the prophet that was to come through the lineage of the Israelites. And we know that Mary was of that lineage of David and Jesus is of that lineage. So that's why this is important for us to recognize. First king was Saul. Second king was David. And then Solomon. And then we know, though, that God didn't want them to have a king because God's going, man, this is not, this is, this is not going to be good. But they wanted to have a king. Why did the Israelites want to have a king? Simplest way I can tell you, they had FOMO. You know what FOMO is? I'm really cool and hip, so I do. It's called the fear of missing out. We all have some type of FOMO, right? Somebody, you ever, anybody married to somebody who sees their friend get a bigger boat, so they're like, I need a bigger boat. Anybody know that person? Rhetorical, please, like... I don't have time for the counseling today. We have FOMO. We, we have the fear of missing out. The Israelites, I think, they're looking at all the nations around them. Oh, they have a king. They have a king. They have a king. We want a king. We can put a crown on his head, and this will be great. This will be fantastic. And God's going, no, I am your king. But finally, he relents, and he's like, okay, fine. I mean, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7. Another passage. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7. God finally says, fine, I'll allow you to have a king. But God knew the dangers of men ruling over men. Because every person has a heart problem. Why? Because it tells us that we're all sinners and falling short of the glory of God. If we're all sinners, we all have a heart problem at some time or another. And knowing that, that means men ruling over men is not a very good thing. That's not the way that God really wants it designed, but God allowed for it. But fortunately, prophecies began to come of a true king that would come in human form, that would pave the way for righteousness, that God himself would return through his son in a human form through Jesus Christ. Second, 2 Samuel 7.16 says, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And this goes all the way in... in to the story of Jesus' birth with Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 31 through 33. It tells us that, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now here's the thing. Of his kingdom, read the last line. One more time. It doesn't matter. You, you don't have a say-so on whether or not that is true. Like some of just saying that ruffles your feathers. I, I do. No, you don't get a say-so. Guys, you're not all that. The biggest question that we really need to be able to look at today is, is Jesus your prophet? Is, is he prophet to you? Is he priest to you? But you need to, add, you need to leave this place and ask the person you're sitting by, call a friend up, talk to somebody who you're sitting with, uh, beside, on, on the couch with, whatever it is, and you need to say, it, truly, is he your king? Which means he has complete definition of king as someone who has complete authority over your life. 
And something that we once stated, Jesus is my king, sometimes what we've done is we've reverted and said, you know what, I'm going to take the king part off. He is prophet, he is, I'll give him priest, that's cool. But I want to have control over my life, and so we have reduced the understanding of Jesus. We've muddied the waters. We've done that in our businesses, we've done that in our schools, we've done that in our homes, we've done that in our churches. Friends, no matter where I go, I'm preaching Jesus. And no matter where you go, you should be, maybe you don't have the call on your life to preach in front of people like this, but you are to be preaching Jesus. Here's, the, here's what we find, and this is a way for you to evaluate whether he's prophet, priest, and king in your own life. Because you don't get to, friends, teachers, administrators, children, all of you, if he is your king, you don't get to make any decision apart from his word. I'm not talking about what society tells you. You're held to a different standard as a believer. That's why I tell people, you speak to believers and non-believers differently. I know that not all of you are believers. I know the bulk of you, though, claim to be a believer. And so I would rather tell you this now, that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your opinion and your preference does not matter. You have surrendered everything to the throne of God. Yes? Here's how we know if he's prophet, priest, and king. Matthew 22, 36, and 37. So they look at him, and he's referred to as rabbi or teacher. They said, rabbi, teacher. He calls us out, and he says, what must we do? What is the greatest commandment in the law? And this is their way of saying, what's the most important thing? Like, if you just say one thing, what's the one thing that we better get? And he says the following. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. There's nothing in your life that isn't attached to one of those things. That means if you're loving him with all of your heart, your actions are showing the love and the power and the strength of Jesus. And if you're loving him with all of your soul, it means that you are stepping into relationships because you are overwhelmed by him. If you love them with all of your mind, it means that you have a biblical worldview and you're thinking biblically about the issues of life. Friends, we need to stop being surprised that our society is going where it is. Can we stop being surprised? They don't know Jesus. 
What do you expect? Which means the people of the church, especially in West Michigan, let's just own up to the fact that we have failed miserably to live out the love that we proclaim. But it can change, right? Can it change? It's not complicated. It's just not complicated. Because if he's king, we surrender everything to him. And I'd rather you know if you're actually surrendering. Is he your king? Does he have complete authority in your life? You can't leave this place and be like, oh, I'm going to go right back to the way I was and tell me that he is your king. I'd rather you know it now. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Final passage I want to share with you. Listen, this is the reality. There is salvation that is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. It will always be the same answer at the end of the day. And the answer is this. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's it. He is the beginning and he is the end. He is the great high priest. He is prophet and he is my king and I will worship him with all my heart, soul, and mind. I say we show more Jesus. Amen.